Morning, everyone. So this morning, I really hope I brought my notes. I did. <laughs> this morning, we're going to be in uh, Proverbs 22. We're going to be focusing on verse 6. But if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, feel free to go ahead and get those out so you can read along if you want or not, or you can nap, whatever. That's, that's cool, too. Um, so Proverbs 22.6 is one of these verses that most of us have probably heard many times, and it's actually one of these verses that can cause a lot of hurt and pain and questions, too. So let me go ahead and read it to you, and then we'll jump into it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I'm sure some of you are starting to think along the lines of, I know exactly what he's talking about, how this verse can cause some pain. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at that and take a look at what it actually means and what it's actually saying and, and maybe, maybe get a little different perspective on it. So why is it that this verse can cause us some pain or maybe confusion? Well, first of all, a lot of times we have a tendency to read the Bible as though the entire Bible is what we would call covenant promises. Now, if any of you were here last week, we talked all about God's sovereignty and God's power. So what is a covenant promise? Well, that's when through God's power and sovereignty, he makes a promise to us, 100% based on God's power and authority. If this, then I'm gonna do this other thing. Or if this happens, then this will happen. Well, guess what? The whole Bible is not covenant promises. For example, the book of Proverbs where we are is Proverbs. It's not the book of promises. So, so what is a proverb? A proverb, as opposed to a covenant promise, a proverb is a short, sometimes poetic saying that's intended to communicate some piece of wisdom to the audience that it's being spoken to. So let's take a look at the verse again and look at what would happen based on how we interpret it if we do apply that covenant promise reading to it, like we sometimes have a tendency to do with anything in the Bible. So it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. If we read that as that covenant promise, what that means then is if you do a good job as a parent and teach your kids the things that you need to be teaching them, then when they're older, they're going to do the same thing. They're still going to follow the Lord. They're never going to mess up. So then what happens? How many of us have known a parent or, or maybe we did this as we grew up where we or our parents did a good job. They taught us about the Lord. They took us to church. They were good role models. And yet we rebelled. Okay, I'm the only one. That's okay. <laughs> Does that mean that my parents didn't follow this, that they did a bad job, that they somehow failed as parents, as people, as Christians? No, that's not what it means. And he, even worse, when that happens, the amount of guilt that that can cause for parents could be absolutely devastating. So that's, that's really not what this verse is talking about. So what is this verse actually talking about? Well, anytime that we look at a verse one of the first things that I always say is let's look at the context because that's really important. We can't just pluck verses out of the Bible, as Mike would say, put them on a coffee cup, and, and that's all that it means. So 
There are several aspects to the context of any part of Scripture that we're reading that we always need to look at. So one of those is taking a look at the author and the audience. Who wrote it? What do we know about the person that wrote it? Who was it written to? What do we know about them? And along those same lines, I've been recently challenged when I'm, re- when I'm reading the Bible, instead of asking, even though we, we absolutely believe in the inspiration of Scripture, instead of saying, why did God put this in the Bible? Put it in that historical context of real people. Because real people who are living in a real time in a real place wrote everything in this book. So instead of asking, why did God put this in the Bible? I'm trying to ask myself more and more often, why did the person who wrote this down feel that it was important to write it down at that time and place in their life and in history. And so maybe that's something that you can apply as you read the Bible too, but I've found that that's really helped me put some of these passages in perspective. So with this passage, who's the author, who's the audience? Let's start there. The author, King Solomon, and the audience, he wrote most of Proverbs to his sons, to his children, and to a more general audience to impart some wisdom but we're talking about thousands of years ago too. So what do we know about Solomon? If any of you know anything about the life of Solomon, you're probably already asking, who does he think he is to give me advice on raising children? Like, he didn't necessarily turn out so awesome. His kids didn't necessarily turn out so awesome. So who who is he and why does he think he can give this advice? Well, again, Ask yourself, why did this person think it was important to write down? Sometimes you write stuff down, you can impart wisdom even through your own failures. And we know that Solomon later in his life even looked back at his own life and was able to write about some of his failures and some of his misdirection and poor motivations and all sorts of things. So so we can be okay reading this even though it's coming from somebody who wasn't perfect at this. In fact, as, I, as I'm talking about this, trust me, it's not missed on me that a lot of you sitting in this room have way more experience raising kids than I do. And I'm also not missing the fact that my kids are sitting here and everything I say, they're going to be like, yeah, he doesn't do that. <laughs> it was a little easier in first service because I didn't have my own kids sitting there judging me. So... Um, Next, when it comes to context, and we, we hit on this a little bit already, but it's really important to say, what kind of writing is this? And read it as that type of writing. So there are certain parts of the Bible that are history. There are certain parts that are parables. There are certain parts that are poetry. There are certain parts that are just lists and data. And we get in trouble when we read one of those as though it's another one. You're all familiar with a lot of the parables in the New Testament. If we say, we have to read this parable as history, and then we find out that it didn't actually happen, does that mean that the Bible's not true? No, it's that we need to read that as a parable. Same thing when it comes to these Proverbs, like we were saying before, the Proverbs are just that. They're Proverbs, they're not covenant promises. Another proverb says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. So there I was, and... I used a gentle answer, and this angry drunk guy still tried to punch me in the face. Did I just disprove the Bible? It didn't turn away wrath. That's because that's a proverb, not a covenant promise, and we need to read it like that. So uh, next thing we're going to do is look at what this verse actually says. And 
If any of you were here last week, we really broke down a couple of those verses and looked at the original Hebrew and talked about some of the history of how we translated these different versions of the Bible. We're not going to go quite that in-depth this week, but we are going to do something similar and actually look at kind of the original language here. So maybe that'll give us a different perspective on what this verse actually means. And a little disclaimer, don't get me wrong, I think that our translators of the Bible did a phenomenal job taking this ancient language that is from thousands of years ago. So we have a language gap, we have a time gap, we have a culture gap, and they have to puzzle that together to put it into words that we can actually read and understand today. And they did a phenomenal job. But sometimes it's still helpful for us to actually go back and look at what the original language actually says. So last week, if you'll remember, when we did that, we took one verse, and when we read it in the ESV, it had 18 words in our English Standard Version. That's the one that I like. And when we read it in the Hebrew, it only had six words. That means that two-thirds of the words in that verse were added by the translators to help us understand its meaning. So let's take a look at this one. Proverbs 22.6. Again, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 21 words. I can count that quick. I counted before. I cheated. So what if we look at the same verse in the original Hebrew? It only has 10 words. So that means that over half the words in that verse aren't in the original Hebrew. I'm not saying that they were added inappropriately or anything like that, but it really helps me sometimes to really get back to what did Solomon actually write down. So I already did the homework for you. And if we read this as a direct word-for-word -word translation from those 10 Hebrew words, it would say, a firm young in his way, also when old, no depart. So you can see how, and this is something that when, when the translators translate the Bible, there's really no way around it, but you can see how even their interpretation of how we should apply that verse might play into the words that they choose to add just to make it make more sense to us. And that's totally fine. But maybe another, another way to read this would be something like, affirm a young person's actions... And when they're older, they won't depart from those actions. So you can see there's nothing in the original language that says, like, the, in the way he should go, giving it that, po that positive connotation. It's saying, affirm a kid's actions, and that's how they're going to turn out. That could be good actions, that could be bad actions. And what's the best way to teach someone? It's through example. So when our kids see us setting that bad example, we're affirming their bad behavior also. When they see us set a good example, we're affirming their good behavior. And the good news is that Christ can work with broken humans. If he couldn't, I would be in trouble. We would all be in trouble. I don't, I don't have to do this perfectly. You don't have to do this perfectly. Despite our failures, we have Christ who can work through us anyway. So, keep in mind this can also be what's called a reverse proverb. So, like I was saying, good behavior, bad behavior, affirming good things or affirming bad things, those are going to have an impact later in that kid's life. So, let's go ahead and look at this verse by verse. And what I want to do, because here's this verse that says, okay, 
do a good job training your kids. I'm like, yeah, I kind of already know that I'm supposed to do that. What I actually need is some advice on how to do that. Train them to do what? So luckily for us, if we look at the rest of this chapter, Solomon actually gives us a lot of advice that we're going to actually break down into a list of really good things to talk to our kids about and areas where we need to make sure that we're setting that great example for our kids. So we're going to go through verse 1 through 15 real quick. And what you'll see is each of these verses will have one or two things that we can add to that list of what do I need to be training my kids to do? How do I need to be an example for them? And then after that, we'll, we'll review that list real quick. So starting with verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So verse 1 is talking about the importance of a good reputation, Right? How many of us have heard somebody say, or maybe said ourselves, it doesn't matter what other people think, just don't worry about what other people think. It's, it's usually given as, intended as good advice. Well, Solomon's telling us right here in Proverbs that a good reputation is important. Now, I will say, when you're 100% sure that you're acting in accordance with God's will, acting with integrity, and acting in love, then yeah, don't worry about somebody else judging that action. But pretty much any other time, worrying, what other, worrying don't be a worrier either, but worrying about what other people think is important. That's called our reputation. That is absolutely important. It's also called empathy, being able to understand and feel what other people are thinking and how your actions impact them. So we're worrying, again, about what other people think is important. So let's add importance of reputation to our list of things that we're going to try to set, our, set, an, set a good example for our kids with. Verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. How about respect for people? Verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Now, I read this one, I'm like, really, Solomon? That sounds like cowardice to me. I don't, want, I don't want people seeing danger and hiding. But what he's talking about here isn't cowardice, it's prudence. It's being smart about when you engage and, and the situations that you put yourself in. So we're not adding cowardice to the list of things that we're teaching our kids, we're adding prudence. Verse four, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Again, let's keep this one in context. Because if you pluck this one out of context, I'm so humble, I'm going to get rich. <laughs> it's not what this means. What this one is teaching is the importance of humility and the importance of fear of the Lord. And lack of humility, that's when people stumble and fall. Verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. So let's add honesty to that list. Six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You might be saying, yeah, you already read that one. That, that's the thing, saying train your kids. But let's not forget to put on our list of things to teach our kids how to raise kids. So be a good example for them now so that when they have kids, they can look back at that example, maybe even call you occasionally for advice. Hey, I'm having trouble with my kids doing this. And 
your mom's going to be like, yeah, you did that too. So, so don't forget to be that good example so that when your kids have kids, they had those role models growing up. Verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So let's just add financial wisdom to that list. You can teach your kids good financial wisdom, financial responsibility. Verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fall. So... We could call this justice, or maybe more importantly, maybe more accurately, we could call it the ability to recognize injustice and to engage and do something about that. Next verse, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. This is one that I didn't go back to the Hebrew and read and translate, but now that I read it, this is one of those verses like we were talking about last week that you kind of read and you're like, huh, what is a, what is a bountiful eye? I don't even know what that is. So maybe I'll give, give that to myself as homework to dig into that one a little more and figure out what that means. But I think even without understanding what Solomon's meaning by a bountiful eye, he shares his bread with the poor. Let's add generosity to that list of what we're teaching our kids. Verse 10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Value of peace and good relationships. Verse 11, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So let's add two things, purity and gracious speech. Let's put those on that list too. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge but he overthrows the words of the traitor. So traitor is something that God despises. So let's add devotion to that list. Verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall, be, I shall be killed in the streets. So this is probably the most important thing to teach our kids is how to fight lions. Now, the verse is actually talking about the sluggard making an excuse for why he's not getting out, getting after it, and going to work. So teach our kids the importance of diligence and commitment. Verse 14, the mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. So let's add faithfulness and integrity to that list that we're tallying up. Two more verses, and then we'll, we'll revisit our list and take a look at it. Verse 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So get a rod and beat your kids. So this verse is talking about discipline, and I don't want to, I'm not going to open up the can of worms of trying to do a sermon on the best way to discipline kids. I know everybody has a lot of different opinions, different methods. They're different kids. Some things work for one kid and not for another. That changes whether you're disciplining a one-year-old or a 13-year-old, or I don't know, (laughs) 30-year-old. So so I'm not going to get into that. What I do want us to focus on is the idea of discipline, though. And sometimes we hear discipline a child, and we think immediately that's the part of parenting that's dishing out the consequences for all the bad stuff they do and all of their failures. I want to kind of change our perspective on that. So what I'm trying to do is every time that I read about disciplining a child in the Bible, I think what I need to be thinking about is what it's talking about is teaching the child to have discipline. Raising the child in a way 
that when he or she is older, they have self-discipline. They are a disciplined human being. That doesn't mean that they were abused or had all sorts of rules or all of this. Think about teaching someone to be disciplined. That's what it means to discipline someone. Verse 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So here we're called to set an example of generosity and altruism. Giving to the poor, not oppressing, to, not oppressing the poor to increase your own wealth. So let's go ahead and th- go through that list that we were compiling. So here are a list of training items for our kids. And it actually ends up being a pretty long list. So again, if any of you were here last week, you remember we talked about saying, oh, if I only knew God's will for my life, then this would be so much easier, or then I'd know what to do. And in fact, the Bible's full of directions where God says, my will for your life is this, fill in the blank. So it's like, okay, let's start just by making a list of those and pursuing that, and then maybe God will reveal more of his will for my life. So same thing here. We have a a really good starting list that's actually quite daunting for what we're supposed to be teaching our kids just from this first half of this chapter. So I have importance of reputation, respect for people, prudence, fear of the Lord, honesty, how to raise children, financial wisdom, justice, generosity, peace, gracious speech, devotion, diligence, faithfulness, integrity, discipline, and altruism. So if you're wondering, what are the most important things I can teach my kid? What are the most important attributes that I can model for my kids, for them to see me acting out? There's a good list to start with. Now, if you noticed as we were reading through those verses, a lot of them had the thing connected to another thing. If this happens, then then this. So a lot of the then this parts of those verses are the results of modeling these behaviors for our kids. So instead of going back through all 16 verses, I just went ahead and made a list for you of what I found. So for example, the result of teaching the importance of a good reputation is having a good reputation. So um, I listed out some of them, having a good reputation, harmony, safety, success, freedom, avoiding calamity, having a relationship with God, and positive relationships with other people. Now, if I could have something for my kids, that, that would be a pretty awesome list. If you could say, your kids are going to have these things in the future. So, so that's what Solomon's trying to teach us, is model these attributes, teach these attributes, and these are the results. Again, keep in mind, it's still a proverb, and we still have sinful, rebellious hearts. I know my parents could have done the absolute best job raising me, and I still made plenty of terrible decisions in my life. So that does happen. So now that we have a list, how do we actually apply it? And like I've mentioned several times, setting an example is the best teacher. If you try to teach me something or tell me the importance of something, and then I see you doing the exact opposite, your words may have been true, but how seriously do, I th- do you think that I'll take you as a teacher if I'm seeing you do something else when you're telling me one thing. Probably not going to really take your words too seriously. Might even say, I'll show him. I'll do the opposite too. That's kind of how we think sometimes, right? So 
another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit is the idea of teaching versus training. And the verse that we looked at said, train up a child. Again, the original Hebrew didn't really say train, it said affirm. But what is kind of the difference between teaching and training? So if I run into somebody and they're like, hey, I, I started training jujitsu or boxing. They're like, awesome. What gym are you going to? Well, I'm actually reading a book about jujitsu or boxing. I'd be like, okay, you're, you're learning, you're not training. Training is that hands-on application of something. So how do we apply that to this idea of training a child? Well, we don't just teach them the value of, say, altruism. We actually set the example of what that looks like. We actually do it. We actually allow them to do it. And then remember that affirm word from the actual verse, affirm a child's ways? When we see them doing those things, we point out to them that we noticed and that we're proud of them. Have you ever done that to a kid? Like they do something and you notice it and you point out to them that you noticed it and how proud you are of them. Have you ever seen how a kid just glows when they get that, that positive affirmation? That's what Solomon's talking about here. So I went into my library this morning and grabbed a book because I needed an example. And I like object lessons. I don't know if this counts as an object lesson. Anyway, this is an object and we're doing a lesson. So I grabbed this book. This is uh, Marine Navigation, Piloting and Celestial and Electronic Navigation by Richard R. Hobbs. Now, if you're in the know, you just refer to this book as Hobbs. That's like a cool slang for this book. Anyway, uh, this book is hundreds of pages and it's one of a section about this big on my bookshelf on navigation and ship handling. So I'm giving all of you an assignment right now that you have to carry out a year from now. You're gonna get a sailboat and you're gonna be required to sail all the way across the Pacific without running into any reefs, without running aground in the middle of the night, without sailing through pirate infested waters and you have to not die also. Now you have two, you have two choices. I can give you my books off my bookshelf and you can read them and you'll be very knowledgeable. Or you can spend the next year training. You can actually get out there, learn to sail from somebody who knows how, learn how to do that navigation, learn how to read the nautical charts. Here's the audience participation part. We're taking a survey. Actually raise your hands. How many of you are going to opt for just reading the books without any hands-on experience? You're crazy. <laughs> Confident, which I like, but crazy. <laughs> How many of you are going to opt for the actual training? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so keep that in mind when we're talking about training our kids versus just teaching them. So I was talking to my mom last week and I don't remember exactly how the conversation came up, but when I was six years old, the closest thing that I had to the internet of today was after going grocery shopping with my mom, you go up to the front of the grocery store and there's an arcade. 
It smells strangely of some combination of like Windex and pizza, like anybody who grew up in the 80s, I'm sure knows exactly what I'm talking about. But the closest thing that I had to today's internet was taking a quarter, dropping it in the Pac-Man machine, playing Pac-Man for a few minutes. So my mom watching me play Pac-Man would have had absolutely no way of knowing the dangers and hazards that would exist on the internet at this point in my life, right? So she wouldn't have been able, even if she had known, to train individual solutions for each individual question or situation that I could possibly encounter as an adult because it would have been impossible for her to even anticipate the situations that I find myself in as an adult. So she can't say, when you encounter this on the internet, that's dangerous, you can't do that. I'd be like, the internet, like, it's 1984, nobody even knows what the internet is. So, so instead, what did my parents teach me? They taught me things like respect for women. They taught me things like devotion in marriage. They taught me things like the true evil of slavery. And now I can take those those principles that they taught me. They didn't give me solutions to every single problem that I might encounter. They taught me certain principles and set the example of those principles. So now I can take those principles and apply those in situations that my parents would have never been able to foresee back when I was six years old. So what are the actual results? Maybe when we do this right, maybe when we do this wrong. So... It's a good thing when children or adult children ask their parents for advice. That means that you've set that example where your kids respect your opinion. Now, they may not follow your advice. I might call my mom for advice, just get her perspective on something. And if it's something important, I might call half a dozen other people and get their advice too, people that I respect. They might not all have the same advice. I might take some of their advice. I might combine some of their advice. But that's a sign that the kids actually respect the opinion of the parents, and how the parents have set that example as the kids grown up. Now, the other side of that is maybe the parents that do try to have that rule for everything. You can't do this thing, you can't do this thing, you can't do this thing, you can't do that thing. And guess what? Solomon talked about setting those patterns for our kids, and they'll have those patterns when they're older. I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, the same thing happens with parents. They set examples for themselves and affirm those behaviors themselves, and then they're still doing those same behaviors when their kids are grown up. The parents that teach their kids those principles, let their kids make their own decisions, let them fail sometimes, let them succeed sometimes, let them learn on their own, let them take responsibility, whether good or bad, for the outcomes of their actions. Guess what? Those parents are treating their kids the same way when their kids are 40 years old. The parents that make a rule for everything, nope, you have to do this, this is the better way to do this. This is the only way to do this. You have to, you have to do this sport. You have to go to this college. You have to get this job. You have to work in this field. You have to make this much money. You have to live in this type of neighborhood. You have to live in this state. We don't want you moving overseas. The parents who do that when their kids are little, guess what? They've set that pattern for themselves too. And they're still doing that when their kids are 50. I'm sure we've all seen that. So, the sign that we're doing this right is when kids go to parents for, for advice, for help when they need it. And then also, granted, when kids are really little, if we're, I think if we're parenting well, 
we transition from less and less and less of that, call it interference in their lives. You know, when they're, when they're three months old, they don't really get to make their own decisions and all of that. They, they need that interference in their life, otherwise they would die. They wouldn't be able to even survive. So rapidly, though, it transitions out of that. And how long do we have to transition out of that? Well, in the United States, legally, they say 18. So when your kid turns 18, legally, you don't have parenting, legal guardian authority, authority over them anymore. However, if you're waiting till they're 18, that's going to be way too late, and those patterns are already set. And I think even a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, they're already looking to their parents to set those examples. So that's the time to start and establish those patterns, affirm those good behaviors. And then by the time they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you're really seeing them become the person that they're going to become. I also wanted to mention, going back to, to our Hebrew translation, this isn't just limited to your children or children under your care or the ones that you're the legal guardian of. The word that the Hebrew used was young, just talking about young people. It's talking about an adult's role in young people's lives. So this is all young people that you have the blessing to be part of their life. And whether that example that you set is good or bad, you are setting that example. There, there's no middle here. You're setting some sort of example for all of the young people in your life. And it's either good or bad. So let's try and make sure that it's good. We have that list that Solomon gave us. Let's actually look at that and say, how am I exhibiting this in my life when these young people, whether it's my kids or somebody else's kids, are looking at my behavior, what kind of example am I setting? And then finally, along those same lines, be an example, not a dictator. When you're not sure what to do, start there by being that example instead of making a rule. If you're a good, if you're a good enough example, you're hardly going to need the rule. Instead of saying, you have to do this, just show what it actually looks like to do that. So let me go ahead and close in prayer as the worship team comes back up. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the ability to come together and meet, worship you. Thank you for the freedom to do that. We pray that despite all of our flaws as humans, as parents, that you could work through us to be a positive influence in the lives of our children and at all of the younger people in our lives that you bring into our lives for those reasons. We pray that we'd remember to be a good example and not a dictator. And we thank you for your word that you gave us, that we can read these words of Solomon written thousands of years ago, and they still totally apply just as much today as they did back then. Thank you again so much, uh, just that we can meet together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.